Good morning. It's good to be with you again. It's good to have an opportunity to share from God's word. Uh, right at the beginning, I'd like to, to read the passage of scripture for today. You'll find it in, in John chapter 5 from verse 31 to 46. Let's read. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favour, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the works the Father the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice or seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in their own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? It's a fascinating passage of scripture. When Andy asked me to uh, preach today, I was quite excited. I always get excited about the prospect of preaching. And that was great. And then I read the passage and my heart began to sink a little bit. Not because there's anything wrong with the passage. Uh, the, the basic meaning, once you've extracted a few thoughts, is, is quite clear. But I was struggling initially with the first reading as to its relevance to us. What, what could God say to us about our walk with him that would help us this morning? However, I soon realised that <coughs> I was wrong. I soon realised that as, as I considered what this passage was saying to us, that its relevance was actually quite stark and quite strong. So let's divide this into two parts. Uh, the first part this morning will be about its relevance then, what Jesus was actually saying to the Jewish leaders of the time. And then the second part, we'll try to extrapolate from that to see how those things are relevant to us. In the verses before our reading, it was clear that Jesus was speaking to the Jewish leaders, uh, primarily Pharisees, teachers of the law, and he'd been talking to them about the importance of belief in him, and how he was the source of life, and to have him was to have life, and so on. But he also says in our reading that, uh, okay, it might be a valid to ask for some corroboration, 
what is it that can validate the claims of Jesus? What is it that those listeners, those Jewish leaders had heard elsewhere that would corroborate, that would support what Jesus was saying about himself? And Jesus is very clear that that evidence, those testimonies, if you like, are there. His heavenly father had testified about him in various ways. And so they should listen and they should believe they had no excuse. Let's consider the ways that Jesus was talking about. And he starts by talking about John the Baptist. From what Jesus says, it seems that the, the Jewish leaders initially uh, had, had quite warmed to John the Baptist, uh, had been interested in him, had been drawn to him. However, it, we know from scripture that soon changed. Uh, and I wonder why it changed. It could just possibly have been uh, related to that bit in, in Luke chapter 3 and verse uh, 7 and 8, where Jesus called them a brood of vipers who couldn't possibly rely on Abraham to escape judgment. It probably didn't endear John the Baptist to them very strongly. But they rejected John. And Jesus said in rejecting John, they chose darkness rather than light. This is the, the first testimony, if you like. And we, we know from scripture that that's what John said about himself, that he had come to bear witness to the light that was coming into the world, that he himself was not that light. He wasn't the Messiah himself, but was the one who was preparing the way for, for, for the Messiah. Uh, that's already been covered in John's gospel. And, and these Jewish leaders rejected him, even though he was one of the evidences, one of the clear validations of what Jesus was to claim. And then we come to the second one. <clears throat> Jesus talks about the work the Father has given him, validating who he is and what he claimed to be. So we have to ask ourselves, what did he mean? What is this work the Father has given him? Well, you may remember that at the beginning of his public ministry in the synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus read the following words from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus set people free. He healed people. He made lame people walk. He delivered people from the grip of demonic possession and so on. He calmed storms. He fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. We could go on. John, uh, the gospel writer, has already identified two of the many side miracles that pointed to who Jesus was. And later in John chapter 10, verses 25 and 26, he says this, or Jesus says this, I did tell you, in, in response to a question about himself, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak of me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. So essentially Jesus is saying, look, uh, the validation, the corroboration for my claims are the very miracles, the very things you see happening. Those lives that are transformed, those uh, lame people who are now walking or will be walking soon, the, the blind who will see, the, the miracles you have, be, you have seen so far are just the beginning. They're signs uh, of who I am, uh, that my claims are right. Uh, you have no excuse because of the work the Father has given me. 
Jesus also refers uh, as further corroboration to the voice of his father, his father's voice. We know that at Jesus' baptism, the voice of the father was heard. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, Jesus is telling uh, the, the Jewish leaders here that they've never heard God's voice, which is amazing because some of them probably would have been there at his baptism. And yet I think what he's saying here is you've never heard, you've never discerned, you've never understood. You're deaf to what's really going on. Even though my father has spoken, you haven't heard what he said. You're so blind, you're so wrapped up in your own world and your own prejudices that you're deaf even to the voice of God. That's quite an accusation. And the fourth uh, support, corroboration, validation that Jesus suggests is the scriptures. At that time, of course, uh, the Jewish people only had what we now know of as the Old Testament. We're talking here about mainly the law and the prophets, the law being Genesis through to the end of Deuteronomy. Now, these leaders were absolute experts in the study of the scriptures. They were scholars. They were the biblical PhDs of their day. They knew the scriptures through and through. They'd analysed them with a fine tooth comb and they had devised procedures based on their interpretations of the scriptures. And these procedures had become so entrenched as a, as a way of life that they regarded them as equal to the scriptures. Nobody knew more about the that part of the Bible which existed then than they did. Nobody. There was very little that they hadn't really, really, really wrestled with about those things. And yet, even in all that, they missed the point. Jesus told them that these scriptures speak of him. Even though Moses' words, uh, which uh, were highly prized by them as uh, as guardians of the law, even though they'd understood those words with regard to the law, they hadn't realised that Moses even had spoken of Jesus. All the Old Testament is speaking of Jesus. It is all the kind of backdrop against which Jesus is revealed. And Jesus is making the point that because of their ignorance, they've missed him. Now, in all these signs, in all these validations, in all these corroborations, the point is simply this. The Jewish leaders had no excuse. And on Judgment Day, they'd have no excuse. He said, in fact, I don't have to accuse you. Moses can do that. The very one you claim to follow will be the one who accuses you on Judgment Day. So that's what this passage is about. That's what Jesus is really saying concerning uh, this need for testimony. It's not just him waltzing around the countryside making wild claims. He's saying, yeah, don't believe me just because of my words. Look at the corroboration. Look at the validation. And if you do, you'll realise you have no excuse at all. But of course, for the most part, most of them didn't. Most of them still followed their own way and would face the eternal consequences. But that brings us to the second part of this morning's sermon. Uh, what's the relevance to us? All this is well and good, but, but how does it affect our lives? 
And I realised that the, there are testimonies of the Father concerning Jesus today, uh, corroborations, if you like, that leave no one with any excuse for not believing in him. Two of the corroborations, two of those validations are almost identical to what we've read and uh, the other two are related to it. And before I get onto them, of course, I ought to point out that Paul in Ro chap Romans chapters 1 and 2 makes it clear that because of the very order of creation itself, no human being has an excuse for not turning to God. So let's look at these testimonies that I've identified uh, as relevant to today to leave people without excuse, including us, by the way. Firstly, there's the testimony of transformed lives. It remains true that through the centuries, many, many thousands of lives have been utterly transformed by the grace of God, by the, the news of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, lives have been turned around. Now, by the gospel, we mean basically what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to live the perfect life, to reveal what God was like, but he was without sin. And being without sin, he was in the perfect place to take our place, to take our sin. He could take the responsibility for our sin because he had no sin himself. And he chose to do that. And then he went to the cross and paid the penalty for that sin, even knowing what it was for a time to be rejected by his father, as his father looked on our sin in him. And when, as Jesus was crucified, the price of sin was paid, so that anyone who turns from their own way and puts their trust in Jesus and what he has done is utterly forgiven and totally saved. Now, the confidence of that experience, together with... Uh, inviting Jesus into into our own hearts and then the Holy Spirit coming into our lives makes us a new creation and we are changed and some people through the ages have demonstrated that change in remarkable ways. Uh, John Newton comes to mind. John Newton was the captain of a slave ship and through a remarkable encounter with God he was utterly transformed and became a Christian minister and devoted his life to the abolition of slavery. An astonishing turnaround. In more modern times, you have Nicky Cruz, a New York gang leader in the 1960s, a violent and angry man, who, through the ministry of David Wilkerson, was remarkably saved, remarkably changed by the grace of God. And he became a Christian evangelist and is still working for God today. Lee Strobel, who has written a great book called The Case for Christ, he was a hard-bitten and cynical journalist, and he was so angry about his wife being interested in Christian things, he decided to research the whole thing to prove once and for all it, it, it just was nonsense. But in the research, he met Jesus, and his life was changed, and he's now a Christian pastor. Chuck Colson, was Richard Nixon's right-hand man during the, the Watergate crisis or around that time. He once famously said that he would trample over his own grandmother to get Nixon elected. And yet this man too was transformed by the grace of God, by the gospel, the news of the cross and the love of God in Jesus Christ. And of course, for every, for every famous name, there are thousands of ordinary folk who have been transformed by Jesus. All this is a testimony to him. 
all this is a validation, a corroboration. Look at what the power of God can do. But of course, you have to have the right heart, the right eyes. If you're determined to turn your back and determined to turn your way or wrapped up in, in, in your own legalism, uh, then you won't hear, no matter who shouts, no matter how many lives are changed. The second um, corroboration, validation, I think it's valid today, is the validation of faithful witnesses. By which I mean simply the thousands upon thousands of preachers and teachers of the truth of the scriptures who faithfully seek to open the Bible and explain to people about God's love and about God's ways. They've done it over the centuries and they still do it today, seeking to help people understand. Why would hugely intelligent, for the most part, why would hugely intelligent, clever people who could have gone into many other careers and made a lot of money for themselves, why would they devote their lives to talking about Jesus and for the most part not being hugely rewarded financially for that. Why would they do that? This in itself is a corroboration. This is a validation for the whole story of who Jesus is. And then we come to the two which are the same uh, as the Pharisees had to face up to. First of all, there's a corroboration, the validation of miracles and answers to prayer. Paul said about his ministry in the New Testament of 1 Corinthians 2, starting at verse 3, he said this, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And in this context, John 14, 12 to 14 is very important. In, in the clear context of miracles, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Miracles done in the name of Jesus point to him and validate the truth of who he is. And that's still true today. They leave no excuse for unbelief. They're a vital part of the ministry of the Christian church and must not be shied away from. Now I know that that can create all sorts of issues and I know there are people out there who uh, seem to be devoted to, to the show of it all and there are contracts that happen. All these things are true. But what is also true is God has equipped his church to work in the power of the Spirit and the miraculous is meant to be part of our ministry. And if we shy away from that, then we are denying one of the clear uh, validations of Jesus' ministry. The miracles are still there to wake people up that they might believe in Jesus. And of course, the fourth corroboration, the, the fourth validation, which is still relevant, as it was then, is the scriptures. And this perhaps is the supreme validation. Today, we have the complete scriptures of the Old and New Testament. 
They are all inspired by God. That's what we're told in 2 Timothy 3.16. Uh, the word inspired literally is God-breathed. It's what it means. It's how the NIV translates it. The scriptures, the Old and New Testament, are God-breathed. We believe the scriptures to be without error. We believe them to be fully reliable. All these things are true. They're one of the great keys to the Christian life, that we should read, that we should study, that we should apply the Bible to the everyday circumstances of life. This is fundamental to growing as a Christian. We should never minimise it. The written word reveals the living word, Jesus Christ himself. This is the supreme way in which we get to know who Jesus is, what he's like, and so on. Uh, the non-Christian, of course, rejects the authority of Scripture, making their own intellect authority instead. And so they put themselves under judgment and walk in darkness, with an eternity of darkness awaiting but for those of us who are believers, there is a cautionary word here. A caution against spectator Christianity and a caution against legalism. Like the Pharisees, we too can, if we study hard, know just about every doctrine in the Bible accurately. We might be able to argue passionately for our particular view of the return of Jesus and marshal all the Bible verses that support that view. We hopefully can clearly express uh, an explanation of the grace of God and why Jesus died, or what the cross is all about and what the resurrection is all about. It is possible to intellectually understand these things and explain these things but still miss out on Jesus. Because all these things, that the truth of the scripture, is there to lead us into an ever deeper and ever more intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not designed, the scriptures are not designed to make us into a group of legalistic box tickers. So, in the light of all this, in the light of what Jesus said to those religious leaders all those years ago about validation for his ministry and in the light of how that applies to us and the validations which are still there, the corroborations which are still there, what is it that comes out of it? What is it that I think fundamentally we need to learn? Well, I think it's this. If we really want all these testimonies to impact us, we need to come to God, first of all, with a receptive heart. We need to be willing to hear what God has to say and not simply wait for him to say what we want him to say or manipulate scripture, which we can be guilty of sometimes, to make him say what we want him to say. We need to come with a receptive heart. God, we want to know your word. We want to know you. We want to know your verdict. We want to know your way. We also need to come with a humble heart. The Pharisees, those teachers of the law, had become very proud. They were respected within their community and they had become people who were puffed up in themselves. They, they thought of themselves as really important and, and yet never really understood that that very thinking in that way was a hindrance to them being the people God would have them be. 
we too must be careful, even as we hold on to truth and hold on to it very clearly, for we must. We must also recognise that we are just humble servants. We are those who depend on God day by day and those we seek to influence with the gospel and help to live a better way of life aren't any worse than us. Uh, we are simply those who were once sinners who've now been saved and are seeking by the grace of God to move forward with his help. We need to keep a perspective of who we really are if we are to allow these corroborations to impact our lives. We need to come also with a thankful heart, being grateful to God, grateful for every touch of his love, for every example of his mercy, even in the cloudy times of life when it can be difficult to make the choice of thinking on the good things, to thinking on all the blessings that God has given us. And if we can think of no other blessing than this, to be thankful that Jesus died for us and that because of his grace we, for, we are forgiven and have the security of a place with him through all eternity. We need to come with thankful hearts. We need to come with a heart full of love for God. The love of God is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus said, the, the second being that we should love our neighbour as ourselves. Uh, we need to have loving hearts, uh, hearts that are devoted to him. A, a passionate desire constantly fed by reading scriptures by prayer to know him to know him better and, and as we do those things we'll find that the love we have for the people around us grows and grows and grows because that's part of the deal the two belong together and if we want to benefit from these uh, validations these corroborations i think we also have to have a heart that is full of faith taking god at his word Whatever the world says, whatever the pressures, whatever the clamouring voices that differ, we choose to believe God. We choose to believe his promises. We choose to believe that he will keep them in all circumstances. And we look to him for the future. These are all the things the Jewish leaders did not have as they approached Jesus. They did not have a receptive heart. They didn't have a humble heart. They didn't have a thankful heart. They didn't have a heart that was full of love for God and other people. And they didn't have hearts that were full of faith. How do we match up? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you don't ask us to believe in a vacuum. You don't ask us to believe uh, without any kind of corroboration, with a, without any kind of uh, sense or reason behind it. Thank you that there are evidences in creation itself for the truth of your word. But thank you for the things we've considered today, Lord. Thank you for the evidence of transformed lives, for the faithful testimony of those who continue to speak your word. Thank you, Lord, for answers to prayer and for the miracles we've experienced and the miracles you call us to experience in the future. And thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for your written word to us, that anchor point that keeps us from wandering. Lord, thank you. Give us receptive hearts, Lord, and humble hearts. 
Give us thankful hearts, hearts that are full of love and full of faith. In Jesus' name, Amen.